Well, welcome to the Riveting Exchanges podcast, where we talk about women in manufacturing and their professional and personal development. I'm Andrea Olson, and I'm here with Desiree Grace today. We're going to talk about language in manufacturing and culture. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Andrea. And uh, how about yourself? Oh, fine. Thank you. So it's a new year and a new theme that we've got going on, uh, focusing on how women in manufacturing can really advance, as I mentioned, their personal and professional development. So today we're going to talk about written language, and written language is so important in how you frame and write things in all different types of correspondence. And and Desiree, I know you've been in business for a long time. How important has it been to you? Oh, it's been tremendously important. When you look at communication, you are controlling how you present yourself in the best possible light, or inversely, you can make a misstep that could hurt your professional brand. And, you know, as you and I were discussing language, written communication, even body language are all topics that we want to explore in the first quarter of 2019. And you know, I've I've gotten some some kudos for my writing, as, as I know you have, but I've also occasionally had my uh, fair share of it'd be even better if, and mm, so we're mm-hmm. going to share some of those. You know, haven't we all? But <laughs> in the interest of helping our listeners um, not reinvent the wheel every time, we're going to talk a little bit about written communication and some lessons learned, and also um, not just lessons we've learned, but things we've seen other people do. So mm-hmm. hopefully our listeners will find this of value, and it will help them build their careers. Oh, for sure, for sure. And, you know, sometimes we think about written language as just tied to things like email. But when we're talking about business, written language goes across everything you do and the effectiveness of it. So that's things like proposals, advertising, job descriptions, presentations, grant writing. I mean, pretty much everything you do has to do with writing, tone, and how effective that communication is. I think one of the things that that we had had in our previous chats is talking about even how you write and the tone can lean in one gender or another. We had a person that uh, we were speaking with, and and Desiree, I know you can talk to this story, about how recruitment and hiring were impacted by the wording of job postings. Absolutely. Um, You know, job postings, along with the other things you talked about and some other different types of writing we'll address later in the podcast, all impact the kind of audience that is going to either read your proposal, click through on your online job description, decide to apply for a job, um, decide even if it's a company they want to do business with. Um, Interesting Mm -hmm. conversation I had. Global distributor in the industrial and electrical supply business really had a diversity push. You know, much like our guest from December, 
they had found that they made better decisions and performed better when they had a mixture of genders, ethnicities, etc. But they found when they were recruiting, they kept getting white men. Mm. So someone in HR had the bright idea to say, you know, maybe we're doing something wrong. Maybe the way we're advertising is impacting the fact that our candidates only fit this one profile. So they did some research and they found that language. Anyhow, long story short, they did a beta where they really cleaned up their job descriptions and their postings for sales positions. Lo and behold, they found that they ended up getting more of a 50-50 mix of men and women. And it was all based on the type of language they were using. They were not self-aware previously that their language was not gender neutral, but instead tended to be heavily masculine. And I think if you're a woman in manufacturing, you don't necessarily want to come off as overly feminine, but you don't want to go the opposite direction either. It's really Mm -hmm. more appropriate, especially in today's world, to be gender neutral. Right. Right. And And, that is such a great point. And, And along with that, there are just so many things we don't think about as we write. We've we've built our writing style, and that might be uh, leaning towards feminine, might be leaning towards masculine. But then we have all these different ticks that we tend to have within how we write. You know, we might shorthand things. We might use jargon. uh, We might, you know, not even spell check. And these things really make an impact, uh, as you mentioned, especially with the job description, of how effective that communication can be. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I'm currently uh, texting and emailing back and forth with someone who used to work for me who's looking for a new job. And yeah. one of the things I've always coached this gentleman on is his written language. He doesn't proofread. So mm. he'll start a sentence where the first word doesn't have a capital letter. And right. because his skill set, his education, is such that he would be appropriate for an executive role, he is really putting himself behind the eight ball by not taking a few moments to proofread or just utilize spell check and grammar check on Outlook. I mean, it's not everybody's good at everything. I mean, let's face it. Maybe you're really great at numbers and you're not so good at writing Use the tools that are available to you, you know, and if you don't have spell check, and this guy is smart enough to say, hey, Desiree, take a look at this for me, would you? And, you know, let me know if you see anything that I need to address. And I looked at it and I went, oh, he always does this. But, you know, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a phone call with him probably this evening because you don't look like an executive when you are misspelling right. words. You are using incorrect grammar and something as basic as capitalization. You know, technology is a wonderful, wonderful thing, but we have gotten so used to texting, abbreviating, and um, not writing in complete sentences. 
that mm-hmm. invariably that translates into professional communications. And, you know, hey, if you're just jotting off a quick note to a colleague, uh, you know, take a look at the attached, you know, fine. But if you're writing a self-appraisal, if you are preparing a proposal, to your point, grant writing, those types of written communications really call for good skills. Spell check, grammar check, complete sentences, and um, really the other thing I would also say, and I know you and I have talked about this, is think about your audience, slang, acronyms, what even what words you're using. Um, if you're using um, an analogy maybe that's only appropriate for a certain generation, Mm-hmm. Correct, correct that. Um, correct that. If you're using an acronym that someone doesn't understand, at a minimum, in parentheses, put what that acronym is for the first time you use it. You know, SLA, service level agreement. You know what? Mm-hmm. The first time you use it in your correspondence, put in parentheses, service level agreement. After that, if you want to use SLA, Go for it. Right, right. You know, it, it is just so critically important to think about the audience, as you said, when you're writing. And also what you're trying to communicate. You know, a lot of times, especially when we use email extensively, we start writing as we would speak. Rather than writing succinctly and focused in make specific requests of what you're looking for. I mean, I can't tell you how many times where peers, employees, even executives have sent off an email, and I'm sure we've all sat there and read it five, six, seven times and went, I don't know what they're saying. I don't know what they're talking about, uh, or I don't even know what they're asking. You know, And we've all been in that frustration mode. And that takes a lot of time and energy and is not really respectful of that person you're communicating to. So it's about focusing on economy of words, clarity, as you said, avoiding jargon, you know, um, focusing on key points. Don't be afraid to use a bullet list. You know, a lot of times that can visually make things simple for people and help them digest what you're trying to say. Oh, absolutely. And um, if someone is busy and you've got a lot of information to convey, a lot of times what you could do, to your point, is in an email, bullet point, and then provide supporting documentation in the attachment. You know, mm-hmm. here's an Excel spreadsheet that details the sales trends for the last three years with this particular customer. And, and your bullet point might, might just say the sales have been highly erratic and inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Um, y- your point is very well taken about what you are trying to accomplish with your communication. What's the end goal here? Is it to get someone to read further? Is it to get them to schedule a meeting? You know, what are you trying to accomplish? And then how are you communicating that goal for the communication? And, you know, mm-hmm. some communications can be shortened to the point, and that might be best. 
Yeah, and you know, you know, think about those documents you received or the communications you received, whether let's say it's by email or even by text, where it is incredibly lengthy. And you think about reading that and going, this could have been, could have been said in three words. It is a respect for someone else's time, and it's also respect for their mental processing. You know, they have to digest all this dialogue. And sometimes a lot of things can get lost in that. If you think about efficiency and communication, you know, nine times out of ten, problems occur because of miscommunication. So if you write something very succinctly, and it doesn't mean it has to be short or only bullet points, but very precise on what you're trying to communicate, uh, it's going to get that other person to understand what you're asking and actually enjoy communicating with you. But it's also think about the medium. You know, we, we default to email, but, you know, sometimes, especially nowadays, you know, it's a challenge to understand when you should use uh, a Word document or a larger file or even uh, texting. And, and that's something that's just a, an interesting challenge is really a question that I post to you, Desiree, is, you know, when and how should you text with other peers in a business environment? Well, you know, we had talked about that, Andrea, and I think the point that you made was making it easy for your audience. You want to be easy, pleasant, professional to communicate with. Um, you don't want people to avoid your emails or postpone responding to them. But to answer your question about a text message, I don't think that that is ideal at work for anything other than short, brief messages. You know, confirming mm -hmm. lunch tomorrow at X location, running late, uh, can we push out our con call for 15 minutes? The, the problem with texting, you know, we talk about how email doesn't give you tone and tenor of voice, humor, mm -hmm. sarcasm, they don't translate, and we can certainly circle back to that. But um, you don't even get body language. Texting right. takes it to a whole new level of bad as far as any time you're doing shorthand, it can be taken out of context. It can, cannot necessarily be the most professional medium. And, you know, let's face it, there are some times where you want an audit trail. Mm -hmm. you know, maybe, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe it's, it's something with a sensitive customer that involves payment terms. Um, maybe it's an HR issue. Good grief. I hope you wouldn't be texting about that other than to confirm a meeting. But I think confining text messaging to alerts, or reminders is probably the best default for a professional individual, male or female. Right. Oh, I fully agree. I fully agree. You know, if you think about texting, it's just something where it, it is so hard to keep track of that. And it's hard enough to keep track of emails, much less texts. So if it's critically important, I definitely change that medium because the bottom line is that you want to pick the appropriate medium for what you're trying to communicate. But then if you are picking the written language, understand that you're controlling that narrative, that narrative on tone and tenor as much as you can communicate, whether that's text or email. 
uh, how that's written, and presenting that information in a way that we have mentioned is digestible. You know, and one of the things that you had said to me uh, in our previous conversations was talking about communicating metrics, right? And sometimes we have to communicate and report out different numbers for different departments and department heads uh, in our day-to-day business. And really, if the metrics, you said, if they don't tell a good story, find ones that do. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, I, I will flat out tell you, I have shamelessly copied that quote from my current boss. And <laughs> I, so I, I'm, I'm going to give credit. This was not a, an original idea I had. But we were in a meeting and we were talking, we were doing, you know, the proverbial year in review. And um, at that stage of the year, we were really close to making goal, but we weren't quite there. We did end up exceeding our goal. But nonetheless, at that point in time, in a calendar year, early fall, things were a little so-so. So um, his quote pretty much to the letter was, if you don't have a metric that tells a story you want to tell, find a metric that does. And my takeaway from that, I had a little aha moment. Oh my gosh, that's brilliant. He was dead on. Because <laughs> aside from the fact that I'll quote Mark Twain, there are liars, there are damn liars, and there are statisticians, numbers do tell a story. And you want to make mm-hmm. sure they tell a story in the best possible light. So if we go back to my previous example, that our sales were not quite where they needed to be at that time. But guess what? Our orders were. So our backlog and our orders actually were hitting it out of the ballpark. So instead of highlighting sale here to date, he shifted the conversation brilliantly to orders and how we were projecting to finish out the year. So now, mm-hmm. instead of having a conversation where he's apologizing or explaining or, God forbid, making excuses, instead he's highlighting, this is what we're going to accomplish. These are the fantastic metrics that my team has um, successfully achieved. It was brilliant. And, yeah. you oh, know, I would like it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I would encourage our audience to really take that message because the, it's not just a way to reframe the conversation and communicate in a positive way your accomplishments and your achievements. Back to your point about how does your audience like to receive information? You know, some people love Excel spreadsheets. Some people love numbers. But there are other people, maybe they're more visual. Maybe you could take that spreadsheet and convert it into, oh, a bar graph. Mm -hmm. And maybe if the audience is more visual or maybe if your audience is a marketing department, what have you, you might be better served by giving them a graph or a pie chart. Or simply talking in percentages. Hey, our sales are flat, but our orders are 10% above goal. Oh, wow. Now that sounds pretty impressive, doesn't it? Right. 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 You know, to your point, I mean, it's, it's all about audience and what you want to communicate and then the most effective way to present that, whether it's, 
you know, when we say written, that still is a visual medium, right? That is charts, infographics, you know, numbers, diagrams, anything that's going to get you to your goal of what you want to communicate. But, you know, I know that some people, especially some folks that have bosses that are, you know, sticklers for what style they want information in. And, you know, you had mentioned in some of our discussions about uh, a person you knew that really wanted all the information dumped into one email, right? Just send me one big email so they kind of have it in their, in their backlog. Um, and they just wanted something really text-heavy and centralized. You know, how, do folk, how would you recommend, Desiree, for folks that have bosses or peers that really request information in a specific way? Well, you know, I really do think that it's important to step back and consider your audience. Um, the woman in question that I was telling you about was responsible for marketing programs. And her ask of sales leadership was, don't send me dribs and drabs of information. Collect it all and then send me one, docu one email with all the documents attached. Um, that has created a good habit for me personally because if you think about a busy executive, you know, maybe someone that runs a factory or is a senior VP of sales, these are busy people. And to send them eight emails surrounding one particular subject and say, you know, here's the um, credit application, and here's the executive summary, and then the third email that might include something else. Think about what you're doing to that time-strapped individual. How much simpler would it be to say, boss, here's the new customer I want to sign up, attached our A, B, C, D, and E. Boom. One email, everything he needs to review the recommendation, done. Put mm -hmm. yourself in his or her shoes. Right. Well, make it simple. I mean, communication yeah. isn't just translating information. Just by that action, you're providing a service. You're showing a level of professionalism and forethought that someone else who's going to send eight or ten emails isn't thinking about. And that really sets you apart. Well, you know, we need to demonstrate empathy for our colleagues, our subordinates, and our, I want to say our superiors, our supervisors. Demonstrating empathy and an understanding of their situation and their needs is never going to hurt you. So if you show respect for people's time, if you as an individual professional are easy to do business with, that is going to help your professional brand. People are going to want to work with you. They're going to want you on their teams. If you're looking for that stretch assignment and you've demonstrated that you can communicate well in writing, you're positioning yourself to get that next opportunity. Right. You know, oh, you, yeah. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be someone climbing the corporate ladder. You could be an entrepreneur. You could be a consultant. These communication tools really apply to all of them. I mean, Andrea, I know you make proposals to clients all the time. You know, maybe you can talk a little bit about how you do that. Oh, yeah. You know, and, 
And it's funny because it, it, communication is a learning process. And, you know, there are so many best practices out there, especially for when you're talking about proposals, for example, where they say, you know, you have to have a cover page and you have to have table contents, et cetera, et cetera. And I found over time that, you know, fundamentally people are lazy and they really don't want to wade through a lot of information. They want to dig into it if they feel it's necessary, but they don't want to have to unless it's required. And I can tell you that, you know, we had highly graphic proposals. We had ones with tons of visuals. We had uh, some that were itemized out. And still we found that potential clients were just getting confused or never looked at it. You know, they, they might have looked at the price page or they said, well, I couldn't find this information. This is what I was looking for. So we actually just took a completely new tack and said, okay, a cover page is going to include an executive summary. And the executive summary is broken into three pieces. One is, what is the exact scope of the project in very simple terms in a bulleted list? Part two is, what makes us different? And the two or three things that's relevant to that potential client. And then number three is price. And that's it. And that's all on the cover page. And we have sure. gotten that change of layout. We have landed 100% of every proposal since just that one change. Short, sweet, and to the point. Right, right. So do we think there are times where you could be too brief and too short, sweet, and to the point? Just to oh, challenge I our listeners. say so. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's the thing that I find most frustrating, I'm sure you do too, uh, we deal with a wide variety of clients within manufacturing and outside of manufacturing. So, you know, we deal with different types of manufacturers, but we also deal with finance, insurance, nonprofit. And the challenge with short communication or too short communication really goes back to abbreviations. Everyone believes that their industry language is understood by everyone outside of their industry, and that's just not the case. Um, you know, if you're talking about uh, what you call an SOA, that actually across three of different industries that we serve has three distinctly different definitions. And so it can be incredibly confusing to the reader if you are doing shorthand with all these, you know, quick ways of describing numbers or you get used to it because it becomes your company lingo. Remember that, A, not everyone in your company, company might know that lingo. And then, B, especially people outside do not. And so you have to make sure that you are being very articulate in what you're trying to communicate give a description, as you said, put something in parentheses, or just avoid it altogether, uh, because that's where confusion can stem. And, you know, once you have that, I think sometimes they can build mistrust. You know, people might consider you misleading if you're just throwing in a bunch of jargon. Uh, you know, they can consider you maybe trying to uh, communicate one thing and they interpret it another way. So to me, in, in my opinion, is jargon is the worst. But uh, what's your position, Desiree? I, I agree, and I think sometimes, too, you can almost inadvertently send a message that, well, you're not part of the clique. Um, right. Or you're not part right. of the in-group. And if you think about 
the challenges of onboarding a new client, a new employee, that's the last message you want to send. Um, the, the other thing I would add to that too is I do think there's something to be said about style of email. Um, I'll, I'll share a, a story from a, a colleague and then I'll share a story from my, my personal experience if I may. Um, sure. So I have a colleague, um, we'll call her Karen, and she is legendary for her emails being abrupt and short to the point of coming off as rude. Um, you know, something to the effect of bad idea. That's it. Hmm. Bad idea. Bad wow. idea how? Whoa. <laughs> Ow. Ooh. So, you know, and I, I've been semi looking for the opportunity to, figure out a way to mention that to her tactfully because in person she couldn't be nicer, more collaborative, more intelligent, lovely human being to work with. But Karen's email style, she just does not do it well at all. Um, You know, hopefully it's only internal. I don't know what her external emails look like. Um, I haven't seen any of them, but, you know, email is a funny thing. So years ago, I taught um, classes online. I I still teach live classes. I had taught live classes, and for about three years, the institution I was teaching for was doing um, some online programming. They were looking to expand their student base, et cetera. So we developed an online principles of marketing class. And so I thought I was being extremely conscientious to send a welcome email. I responded to students' questions, you know, within eight hours. And, um, you know, because you get get questions at 2 a.m. So Mm. anyway, so at the end of it, my evaluation said that I was abrupt and rude. Oh. And I was shocked. I mean, I am a lot of things, but that was not one of them that I'd ever been accused of before. So I sat down with um, the gentleman that helped sort of build the framework, you know, much like Craig helps with all our technology on the podcast, Wayne helped with all the technology on the online courses. And I, you know, so we talked about this, so we built this together. And he said, well, here's my take. And he said, you are not the first instructor to get this comment, and you're, this is not the first time I've seen this. Here's what mm-hmm. I've noticed. Our students expect a lot of hand-holding. And he said, you're actually doing that? You know, I, I can see all the metrics on, you know, you'd respond in an hour, two hours, you'd answer their questions. But, and here's the but. You're not bookending. I said, bookending? He said, here's the deal. Because you don't get tone and tenor and body language, and the caveat here is this was about 10 years ago, so people are more comfortable with technology now. But he said, Desiree, you need to bookend. You need to start out your email with a, hi, how are you? Hope you had a nice weekend. Happy Monday. Did you watch the Super Bowl? Whatever. He said, and then you need to end your email with, have a great day, have a nice weekend, 
He said, you always end your emails with thanks. You're very polite. But you need to add that extra little human element. So I have taken it since then, and I always kind of make it a point, particularly if it's someone I haven't worked with a lot, someone I don't know well, to always use bookends. Now, obviously, you know, if you don't know if someone's into sports, you may not say, hey, you know, did you have did you have a good Super Bowl weekend? But you could certainly say, hey, I hope you had a nice weekend. And that was um, a really interesting experience for me because I applied that to online classes that I taught after that, and I never got that comment again. Wow. Wow, and it's such yeah. a simple thing, but it does make it more of, a dialogue rather than a directive. And yeah. I've seen also people not realize how you can use simplicity in language, but also exclamation points, periods, capital letters. These are tools at your disposal as long as not overused. So your comment on the bookend, it is a great, great tool to use. Sometimes we've seen, though, that folks will get into a groove of what their bookends are, and those are their default bookends, right? The, hey, and then it's insincere. Right. <laughs> and then their ending is the same every time, all the time, to every person, because you're thinking about the middle. You're thinking about the need of what you want to communicate. So the challenges, and to your point, make it personal. You're talking to a human just because you're using a, a – you know, a device to communicate doesn't mean that it's not a human interaction. And so that personalization is key to make it not cliche or trite or just seem like you're on autopilot. You know, that's a big important piece. Yeah, because, you know, there is a human being at the other end of that court. And we do need to remember that. Um, So, hey, I've got to ask this. Where are you at on emojis? Oh. Gosh, you know, I I personally find them to be something that would be utilized on a personal level, meaning it's my friend, it's my mother, it's uh, some other situation. Um, If you are, let's say, a marketer that's marketing to young adults through Twitter, okay, that written communication emojis are completely acceptable. But in my mind, I think emojis are just a level of impersonal that isn't suitable for traditional business. Uh, If you have a friend that you're a close colleague with and you've built a rapport and you throw um, a colon and a parenthesis of a smiley face on an email, I think that that can be periodic, once in a while, special occasion. But personally, I would say stay away from emojis completely unless that is totally geared for your audience and specifically in a medium where it's appropriate. Totally agree. Um, I likewise am not a big fan of emojis unless and only unless it's personal or very, very rarely used. Um, Right. So that's my take on it as well. Um, I just think it doesn't have a huge place in overall professional communications. You know, I think I think what we've talked about here all circles around the end goal 
which is a positive experience for your colleagues, a positive personal brand, control the narrative, find a metric that works for you, and be easy to do business with. I mean, that's ultimately what this is all about. Oh, yeah, that is the perfect summary because a lot of people think about what they're trying to communicate rather than the how. And to your point, and personally, I believe this is one of the most important ones, it reflects your brand. If you think about it, all of those communications are shaped around a certain voice. And if that's something you want to convey as a specific voice, friendly, approachable, concise, uh, reliable, your written communication should reflect that in style, tone, frequency, thoroughness, everything you do. And I, I agree that it ties directly back on a reflection of you, your professionalism, and your brand. And it can go miles in regards to pushing your career forward. Totally agree. Um, so next week, or next month rather, excuse me, next month we're going to take this to the verbal level. And we're going to talk about verbal communication. So in closing, the thought I want to leave for our listeners is all of our conversation today, whether it's texting, proposal writing, writing yourself appraisal for your uh, hopeful raise, um, is all about written communication. But the fact is that sometimes the written communication may not get the job done. Sometimes you need to pick up the phone, schedule a conference call, maybe even meet someone face-to-face. So what we'll be talking about next month on riveting exchanges is best practices with verbal communications. So on behalf of Andrea Olson and I, we hope that you found this podcast useful and productive, and it's going to help you make a positive change in 2019 and in your career. We wish you well and look forward to chatting next month. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.